Well, I want to let you know uh, something significant happened in our family uh, this week, something um, that could change the course of our family for years to come. And I want to let you know what happened. My wife, Jeannie, has actually been in Shanghai this week uh, preaching at one of two evangelical churches in the entire state, largest city in the world, and she's preaching at one of those churches all weekend. And so she left on Wednesday morning, but right before she left, while I was at small group, a very significant thing happened in our family. Our son Elijah is, uh, really loves Nerf guns. He's got a lot of, like a, an arsenal of Nerf guns and loves you know, doing all that and the Target stuff and all that kind of stuff. Well, he thought it'd be really funny if he woke his sister up with a little shot across the bow on Wednesday morning. And so he's always up first. So he's up at 6.30 and he goes into her room, opens her door and like sends a little, not at her directly, but in her direction. And while it didn't hit her, it bounced off and hit her and it woke her up and it freaked her out. And then he, that's job well done for him. Like he's laughing and now she's hurt and her feelings are hurt and then she's mad. And so she does what any good little six-year-old little sister does. She jumps out of bed in her pajamas and tackles him and starts wrestling him. <laughs> and so that's how their day started. And in the process of wrestling and trying to take the Nerf gun away from Elijah, she broke and ripped one of his Nerf darts. Yeah, exactly. Now it's personal. <laughs> Now it's personal, and that really upset him. And so now he's getting all upset at his sister. How could you do that? Why did you do that? And this is all happening right in the hallway where our bedroom is and where Jeannie was getting ready. And, and you know, so then it gets really, really bad. And they're kind of yelling at each other, getting into it. And I mean, this is 6.30 in the morning. We're already at 10. I mean, that's kind of <laughs> how we roll in our family. And in the process of Gigi being so hurt by her brother, she did something that's never happened in our family before. She has in her bedroom a little art project she did for school of our family tree. It's made out of all these little foam, little stickers of the family tree. And she goes, Elijah, that's it. And goes to the family tree and rips his name off of the family tree. You're not a part of our family anymore. And throws it in the trash. She gets that from her mother. And so... Um, <laughs> That's never happened to us before. And so now they're all upset and Jeannie comes in like, what has happened? And she does what I think has become one of our primary role as, as parents. For those of you who are parents, remember this part of your parents. One of the primary jobs we serve is as a referee to situations. And so she comes in and the two questions you ask are, what happened? And who started it? That's always what we want to know. And so what happened? How did Elijah get kicked out of our family? And what, like, how did we get there by 6.31 a.m.? And, you know, and then who started it? And then, of course, the two sides tell her, well, he did this. Well, she did that. Well, he did this and she did that. And it's pretty amazing. They were able to actually sort it out because, you know, we worked the message that we heard last week. They worked out peace and they made it happen between the two of them. And we were able to, by the end of the day, get Elijah back legally into our family and... <laughs> But it brings up an interesting point, I think, if, if any of us were to be really honest, serious about the drama that we caused in our life, specifically as it relates to, now this is a big word we're going to talk about for the next few moments, specifically as it relates to our sin, those are some good questions. What happened? Where did this come from? Where did this all start? And if you were to sort of play back the tapes of a blow up in your life or a blow up relationally or blow up you had at work to kind of go back and go, wait, 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 where did this come from? How did this start? And how has it affected so many people? Well, we're going to look at this idea of sin today, as the Bible talks about it, and specifically we're going to look at the relational ramifications that our choices have on others. We're going to look at a teaching of Jesus that talks very plainly, in fact very strongly, about the relational realities of what happens when we sort of choose and give into sin and how that has such an effect on more than just us, but the relationships that we have. And so because this is kind of a big thing and maybe it's something you grew up hearing about, but you kind of heard, you know, maybe a different message or this is all new to you. I thought I might be able to give us a little working definition 
of sin. So you might want to grab a pen and jot this down because this is the framework which we're going to look at and come to this passage that Jesus teaches. Just to understand, because sin's kind of a big idea and I think we tend to just think of it's the bad stuff. You know, we just think, oh, it's the bad stuff. And lots of times we tend to see it in everyone else before we see it in ourselves. True? So this is a working definition of how we're going to kind of come around this big idea of sin and why it's so important for us to talk about it and take responsibility with it today. Sin, kind of basically speaking, as the Bible would define it, is this. It's whatever I do or don't do in an attempt to be my own God. You think about that for a second. Sin is whatever I do or don't do in an attempt to be my own God, in an attempt to call the shots myself. So just imagine just a real simple image for you to get this idea of sin being not just the things that we do that are bad, but also the good things that we don't do. Sin is like, it's not just like um, littering and throwing a piece of trash on the ground. That's one thing. It's a bad thing to do, right? But it's also not picking it up when you walk by it. It's the good that you don't do as well. Isn't that interesting? Not just the bad that we do. We all can get like, oh yeah, I get that greed is a sin. I can kind of nod my head to that, yep. And lying is a sin, sure. Pride is a sin. These are the kind of things that we do to make ourselves in our own attempt to be God. But it's also the good things that we don't do. And that's really huge. It's the good that we know we should do, but we don't do. It's not having compassion or making a sacrifice for those who are in need. When you see a need and you don't do it, I mean, that comes under that category. You're saying that moment, I'm going to do something that I know aligns with the heart of God. I'm not going to do that in this moment. Or choosing not to be generous or to give back to God joyfully. I mean, these are things that we choose, good things that we choose not to do. It's all of it is an attempt to be our own God in one way or another. And it's a pretty big deal. You can see why the Bible talks about how all of us have sinned, how all of us continue to sin and kind of fall short, have lost our way. Have you heard of that? Like we're because that is all of us. It's not just someone else, or it's not just a kind of sliding scale of sin. It's all of us. I mean, if you define it by that, it's the things that I do and the good that I don't do in an attempt to be my own God. That kind of, that's all of us. And when you consider the reality of that, it's really, for me at least, it's not a long time until I go, well, wow, I, that's really overwhelming. Because that's like 9,000 things I do in a day. That's a little overpowering even. In fact, it's easy when you consider the kind of reality and the weight of sin to feel defeated by it and and to feel like you're a victim to it. You know, it's like, I can't even help this stuff. I can't even help. It's just too overwhelming. It's out of my control. But that's not actually how the Bible describes it. I think there's a very key distinction I want to offer, and then we're going to dive into this teaching of Jesus about how we can feel overwhelmed and like we're a victim to sin. That's not actually how Jesus clarifies it. In fact, there is a force outside of you that you cannot control, but there is something within you that you can. And let me just draw a very important line. And it's the difference between sin and temptation. So all of us know what temptation is, right? Every one of us this week has been tempted, just by show of hands, how many of you were tempted to eat something you should not have eaten this week? Yeah, we live in Chicago. This is every day. We all know this all too well, right? We know that it's really what temptation is, is something that every one of us do face that you cannot control. You cannot control temptation. Temptation is an external force. Temptation is something outside of you. It is an external force that plays to your weaknesses or your desires or whatever it is. It's an external force, but sin is an internal choice. Big difference. You're not a victim to sin. Temptation you can't control. Every one of us is going to face temptation. Every one of us is going to face temptation today. Already have before you even got here. 
But sin is an internal choice that every one of us makes. It's that choice to say, I am going to be my own God. I'm going to call it by my, I'm going to call the shots by myself. I'm going to do it by my terms. And so you can see, like, just all over and one of us go, man, I, I, I guess according to that earlier definition, I'm a sinner. Well, in the same way, every one of us is tempted. All of us are tempted. You can't stop that. You're going to be tempted. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus himself was tempted. In fact, the Bible goes on to say that he faced every temptation that you face. There's not a thing that you face, a temptation, external force that you've faced that he didn't actually already himself face. And yet there's a key distinction about Jesus that the Bible points out. It says that while he faced the same external force of temptation, he never made the internal choice to what? To sin. He never made the internal choice to sin. That is what separates him from all the other folks in the Bible who talk about sin. I mean, Moses talks about sin. Paul talks about sin. James talks about sin. David talks about sin. Jesus is the only one to talk about sin who actually never did it. I would say that that actually makes him an authority, wouldn't you? That he might have something to say that we all might want to pay attention to. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at a teaching of Jesus where he talks very plainly, honestly, and openly about the reality, specifically the relational reality of our sin. So if you have a Bible, I want you to open to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, if you would. And you can uh, in the, grab a gray Bible. Maybe you have it on your phone. That's great. But if you don't have a Bible, there's one. We already got that covered for you. Grab a Bible out of the seat back and you can turn to page 688 in the gray Bible. Page 688 in the gray Bible is Matthew 18. We actually looked at this last week. You can go online and hear the talk from last week. But I want us to jump back a few verses and look at Matthew 18, page 688 in the gray Bible. And let me give you a little context to this dialogue that Jesus has about sin. And maybe one that you haven't actually ever heard or paid attention to before. Now, let me, quick context. The disciples come to Jesus as they so often do. This is why I love the disciples. They were the people who walked closest to Jesus, but missed it most often. That's encouraging to someone like me. And they came to Jesus and they had this question for him. They said, Jesus, um, question, quick question. Just, I know, you, great job doing the miracles, the teachings. Uh, question, who's going to be the greatest in heaven? This is what there is on their mind. Okay, so if we stick with you, who's going to be like the mayor of heaven? And more specifically, is that job still open? Because I want it. And what Jesus does is he pulls a child out of the crowd and he sits that child on his lap and he paints a beautiful picture. He says, this is actually what it's about. You are struggling and striving for greatness, but it's the faith and simplicity of a child or that's who's really going to get this. People who come to God honestly, openly, just as they are. So with a child in his lap, Jesus teaches this very, very real hard teaching about sin. Matthew 18, verse 6, he says this, holding that child. If anyone causes one of these little ones, and he's not just referring to children, he's referring to anyone who has an honest, sincere faith in God, someone who's in a transforming relationship with God. He says, if anyone causes one of them, those who believe in me, you can see, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. What are you really thinking here, Jesus? I mean, that sounds like Jesus is from Chicago. I mean, that's some serious <laughs> gangster stuff that Jesus is talking about here. He's not pulling any punches here. He says, look, if, if your internal choices are going to cause someone else to stumble, to fall, to lose faith in me, this is how serious I take the relational realities of sin. It's better for you just to get off the scene. He goes on. He's not done. Woe to the world, he says, because of the things, listen to this, that cause people to stumble. 
Such things must come. That's the idea of temptation is an external force. He says this is a hard thing about living in a world being redeemed by God but broken by sin. Temptation is a force that all of us face outside of us coming at us. He says, yep, it is a hard world to live in. But he says, it's even worse for the person through whom they come. The person whose internal choice is to be their own God have very real relational realities and ramifications. You see what Jesus, he's completely reframing the idea of sin around relationship. That it's not just this sort of internal individual thing, that it is an external thing that has very real consequences. That while you and I, not a single one of us, are a victim to sin, our sin always has casualties. Very important. You and I are not a victim to sin, but our sin always has casualties. And so Jesus is saying this is a relational thing for us to understand. Now, here's the deal. You actually already know this, whether you realize it or not. You actually already know this. If we could take time and go around and hear every story, my hunches in every single story in this room, every person listening online or in overflow could tell you right now that there was someone in their life whose internal choice to be their own God had very real ramifications on their life. Maybe for you as a parent who neglected you, wasn't present with you, who abandoned you, their choice, has it had an effect on your life? I think you'd say yes. Maybe for you, it was someone that you greatly loved, a spouse, a partner, a person you'd been with for a long time, a friend, and they betrayed you. They betrayed your trust. They, whatever this is, you know the details because you've been living with that for years. Their little internal choice became what? Became a reality for your life. True? I bet we could all share stories about a boss or a coworker who kind of has refused to deal with their anger. And so their anger pours out in your workplace every day. And their little internal choice to give in to that unhealthy anger actually has a very real effect and makes you walk on eggshells or makes you kind of you know, not know how to act around them. So do you get, we already know that people's sin actually has a reality on our life. The problem is what we tend to do is focus on the reality that everyone else's sin has on our life and we very rarely look at the effect that our sin has on others. Or at least that's true of me. I can quickly tell you all the things that people in my life who've hurt me, all that they've done wrong and how they could have done it right, but I'm much slower to own and take responsibility for my own sin and the realities of what it's done to others. And so that's why Jesus is saying, we need to reframe this idea of sin. It's not an individual isolated thing. It has re like relational realities wrapped up into it. In fact, Jesus goes on, keep in mind, child in lap, he takes it to the next level. This is what he says. Jump down to verse 8. If your hand or foot causes you to stumble or to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. Talking about this idea of hell here. Verse 9. And if your eye causes you to stumble, so the things that you look at, the things that you take in, the way that you objectify men or women or the way that you look down on people because of their race or their gender or their socioeconomic status, the way that you see people with your eyes and what you take into your eyes, if that's causing you to sin, you're making internal choices because of what you're seeing. Jesus says, real simple solution for you. I got a remedy for you. Cut your eye out. Gouge it out, and he says, and throw it away, because you're going to want to go back and grab it later. Just throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. 
You think Jesus is serious about the relational realities of our sin? I think so. I think so. And I think he's inviting us to do the same. Now imagine if you're one of the... You're one of the disciples. I mean, you asked a totally different question. You thought at the beginning about the greatest in heaven. And now, like Jesus, it's like seemingly gone off the deep end with these metaphors. And you think that it's your job to manage Jesus. You're one of the disciples. Can you imagine you're in that circle right now? Like, <laughs> guys, he's not, he's not talking about literally cutting your hands and your feet off, right? You're not talking. Yeah, he's, this is a metaphor. He's into those. Yeah, I mean, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus just, just, just tone it down a little bit. I mean, there are, there's kids in the audience. I mean, there's literally a kid in your lap, and you're talking about cutting off your hands and feet and eyes. Jesus, let's tone it down. Let's get back to the love stuff again. People seem to like that. <laughs> But Jesus is very comfortable talking about something which is very destructive in our own lives and saying, no, no, no. We need to actually not only take a look, but begin to take responsibility for the relational realities of sin in our lives. Obviously, Jesus is not talking literally about cutting things off, but I think you get the idea that there are things in our life that if we continue to allow them to have way in our life and continue to be the way that we sort of choose to be our own God, they will bring about a destruction not only to your life, but to the lives of others. And Jesus uses the metaphor, the idea here, not the metaphor, the idea of hell. He doesn't talk about hell a lot, but this is one of the places where he does. He says, it's better for you to like walk around with one foot or one hand or one eye than to be thrown in the fires of hell. And while He's referring to a very, you know, real place. It's taught about in the Bible that what Jesus, I think, is also <laughs> reminding us of is that you don't have to sort of think about some future place that I think all of us actually, all of us have probably at some level lived through a season of hell here on earth because of the result of internal choices that we made to be God. I bet all of us can tell a little story about how it all caught up to us or how it all came crashing down. And if we were to be really honest, we could say, yep, it came back to this choice that I made. Now, I could, if, I, if I'm going to take responsibility, I've got to be honest about this. I played a part in this. You know, it's amazing about any time that we sort of experience a hell on earth, you know what the reality is? We never go there alone. Our sin always drags someone else in with us. It's just the way this thing works. God has created us to be a relational people. And so our sin has relational consequences. Our internal choices always have external realities. And if you don't believe me or you feel like, oh, man, this is pretty heavy. I thought we were going to springtime. I thought we were going to talk about lighter stuff than this. I think it's important. I think we have to have this conversation. And we have to consider this. And I want to just, maybe by way of going ahead and maybe taking a step out saying, let me show you what I mean by looking at my own life. The reality, the relational reality of sin in my own life. And there's a lot that I could share with you. And there's a lot that I shouldn't share with you on stage. And it's not appropriate. But I want to share with you one. A rela- like a reality of just presence of sin in my life and the choices that I make to be a man of God. And it has to do with selfishness. This is one of my core things that I keep going back to that I think will always work out for me. And it never does. I'm a selfish person to my core. I'm a baby of the family. So I blame it on my parents, genetics. <laughs> but if I were to take my own responsibility for it, let me just paint a picture for you. Let's just say that there's a television show that my wife, a series that we were really into, we loved watching together. I don't watch a lot of TV, but there's, you know, every now and then we'll decide to watch a series together. And so let's say we sit down to watch it after the kids have gone to bed and all the Nerf guns have been put away and we sit down on the couch and we're going to watch a show and about 30 minutes in, Jeannie falls asleep. Now, you know, in that moment, that's a, simple, that's a really simple moment. Let's just say hypothetically, I go in that moment, you know, the loving thing to do would just be to pause it right here and we can come back to this some other time. 
I'll come back to it tomorrow. There's a pause button on this remote. I can hit that right now. And well, that's just a way for me to say, hey, we're going to walk through. That's a small thing, right? It's a really small thing. Let's just say hypothetically, I go, you know, I'm going to keep on watching. I'm just going to keep on watching. I mean, I can tell her about it tomorrow. I'll watch it again with her. That's how we'll work it out. And so let's say that I just kind of keep going. And, and the end of that episode comes and I go, I can't just leave it there. I don't know if he's going to escape. And so I got to... I'm just going to watch one more and then like, but that's it. Okay. And so my wife's asleep on the couch. I'm sitting here and going just one more. And then, you know, I, golly, that next one, that's a cliffhanger. It says part two. I can't leave a part two hanging out there. And so let's just say I watched three or four episodes. Let's just say it goes till one in the morning. Hypothetically speaking, a very small, but listen to me, selfish choice. A bad thing to watch. So again, small. But let me just play out the relational implications and realities of a small little selfish choice like that. Here's what happens if I were to say choose something like that. What happens is I go to bed that late, and what ends up happening is our son is up at 6:30 a.m. with Nerf guns, and so I have to be up and present. But I'm tired and I'm exhausted, and so I get out of bed begrudgingly, not grateful for another day from God, but angry that I didn't get the sleep that I actually could have given to myself. So one of the first words out of my mouth is a short and a rude word to my wife. I'm short with her. I'm rude to her. I don't kiss her good morning. She's kind of in my way. And I go downstairs and there's not enough coffee made fast enough to help me recover. And so now I'm making that and I'm not present with the kids because I'm just kind of grumpy. I'm just mad at the world that I didn't get enough sleep the night before. And so now I'm not present with my kids and my kids need me in that moment. They need their parents at the start of their day. I can help set the trajectory for their day in that moment but I'm not present with them because I'm exhausted from the night before. And so I'm barely there with my kids and I'm on my phone. I'm looking at what's to come. I'm not on my game with my kids. And so then I drop them off at school and I, and I go to work and I come to work. And the truth is I am lagging all day. I'm just like, I feel like I'm 15 minutes behind everything all day. And three o'clock comes and it's hard for me to like stay awake. And so now I'm drinking more coffee, which is going to have a greater effect on me later that night. And in fact, the reality is I wasn't on my game that day at work. And so I didn't get the work done that I could have gotten done the time God gave me. And so what do I do? I take my work home. And so that night, instead of watching a show with my wife, I sit on the couch and I work to make up for the work that I didn't get done because I watched the shows the night before. And I'm not present with my wife at a moment that's very important for our relationship. And so then what ends up happening is I get behind through the whole week. And I know that, that as long as I've been alive, there's always been a Sunday every week. <laughs> and this day is coming. And so now I move to a place of anxiety and fear that I'm not going to be able to get something done to offer something from God to you this weekend. And so I now walk through the rest of the week with the fear and anxiety going on so much. So in fact, that the night before on a Saturday night, I stay up to 1130 just trying to make sure I can catch up on this so that I can be present with you all the next day. I'm not saying that's ever happened. I'm just saying, <laughs> hypothetically, one small, seemingly insignificant selfish choice can affect thousands of people. This is why Jesus takes this so seriously. Every choice we make to be our own God has casualties and brings other people in. So the, the, the thing I have to consider is that when I don't take responsibility for my sin, those choices, those moments that I have, here's the reality. Someone else will. If I don't take responsibility, it's going to come out somewhere else and someone else will. The same is true for your life. Think about it in your own terms. Maybe it's not an example I use for you, but think about it. Maybe there's a time at work and you're behind on a project, but when you're asked about the project in the meeting, you lie and say, yeah, it's going great. It's going great. Almost done. Almost finished. And then you have to now get reality to match the picture you painted. 
And so you have to keep that thing going. And when your boss asks you about it, you find yourself lying even more to buy more time because you know that you'll eventually be able to get it done. And then you start cutting corners relationally at home and with your rest and the things that you really need because of one little moment that you had a choice and you said, no, I know what's best. I'm just going to kind of keep the facade going. Do you see how that can have relational implications in your world? Think about for, for anyone who's maybe, maybe you wrestle or struggle with anger and that's just a thing as a part of you, you know? There seems to be a multitude of opportunities every day for you to get angry about something. And so because you won't take responsibility for your anger in a healthy, God-honoring way, everyone around you walks on eggshells. And your spouse is afraid to bring things up with you because she knows how you're going to answer her. And your kids are afraid if they share something real in their heart that you won't know what to do with it or you won't be present. If they share with you a fear or a failure that what they're going to get from you is your anger. Do you see how that might have some relational realities and implications? Take sexual infidelity. Take anytime, whether it's online, whether it's with another person. I bet it's not too hard for us to figure out. We think that's a private, individual, personal choice. It always, always has relational ramifications. And what ends up happening again, whether it's online or whether it's in person, is what, what, you, what you're doing is you're literally building a wall between you and the person you actually committed to love the most or between you and God. And what you do, every brick that goes up, here's what happens. The soil of intimacy erodes beneath it. And you make it that much harder for you to be intimate with the people you care about the most. That is what happens in that moment when you choose Sexual infidelity, to kind of take this out on your own terms to be your own God, to get what you want. I mean, we could talk about addiction. We could talk about addiction. You could share your story. Maybe you've experienced this from a parent and you saw it in their own life. Maybe you know it all too well on your own. There is yet to be a single addiction that has only affected the person addicted to it. Every addiction, every addiction has relational implications. I mean, can you, so can you see how significant this is in these moments where we have that moment to sort of make a choice and say, I can't stop temptation from coming at me. I, mean, I can literally try and go and live on an island all by myself, but I'll still have my mind with me. Temptation will come at me. It's an external force that I cannot control, but I always have a choice. You have a choice of whether or not you're going to choose to be God or trust God. That really is a choice that every one of us has. And when you reframe it and think of it in terms of the people that you love the most, the people that you care about, it changes things. It changes the terms, at least. Maybe for, for you, I know it does for me. And to be able in those moments to say, no, 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 I actually have a choice here. And to be able to say what many folks in our church who are part of recovery movement, who are part of getting and seeking the help that they honestly can admit they need, it's a phrase that sounds like something you might hear if you've ever been to a meeting. And it's this, something you can actually say today when temptation gets to the point of an internal choice of sin. You can say, nope, today I take radical responsibility for the relational realities of my sin. What would it look like if that's how you came at sin? That I, I, I can do what only I can do. I can't stop temptation from coming at me, but I can take radical responsibility, radical responsibility for the relational realities of my sin. Because let's not be naive. We know that it affects those around me. So what would it look like for me today to take radical responsibility for the relational reality of my sin? What would that mean? What would that look like for you? If I'm being honest about myself, that, that's hard. Because so often what I do, instead of taking radical responsibilities, I have a sort of passive permissiveness. I justify it. I can say, oh, well, it's not as bad as theirs. Or it's just a little thing. Or I've always struggled with this, and so I always will. 
That's not radical responsibility. That's passive permissiveness. That's saying, well, I'm just going to kind of do it again. But here's what's so amazing is that the power of God, when you're in relationship with God, says, no, you actually not only have a choice, but there's power within you to say, no, I can take responsibility right now for this. I can say, no, I can do whatever I have to do. Jesus says, cut it off of the past, literally. Like, that's something you can do. To say, I'm not even going to give this kind of an inch in my life anymore. I'm not going to sort of just allow this to happen and just assume that this is my lot in life because I'm a victim to sin. You are not a victim to sin. You are not a victim to sin. You've actually been empowered by God to make a choice in that moment. And so what would that choice look like for you this week? I'm really serious. In fact, let's forget this week, today. What would that choice look like for you? Every one of our stories is different, but maybe... Maybe for you, there's a real choice. There's a relationship that you know you got to cut off. You got to cut this thing off. You got to end this thing because you know where it keeps taking you. And it not only keeps hurting you, but it's hurting others around you. And so you need to make the call today, a text today. You need to see this person today and say, it's done. No uncertain terms. This is not leading me any closer to God. In fact, it's taking me further and further from him. And I'm sorry, but I have to end this today. That's radical responsibility. Maybe for you, if it's something on your computer and you're, you, you've kind of justified, no, everyone looks at porn, it's not that big of a deal, I'm okay, it's not that big of a deal. Maybe for you, radical responsibility is that you literally give open access to the people who are closest to you. This is a deal my wife and I have. At any moment, at any moment, she can look at my phone and my computer. No resistance. She has open access to that. And so maybe for you, what it means to give open access or even put some parameters and say, look, I can do something about this. I can actually kind of say, I'm not going to let this in. It's not going to mean that temptation is never going to come at me again. It will, but you can at least take responsibility for this area of your life. And you've known that, but you've kind of justified and you've kind of pushed it off. Look, the longer and longer and longer we justify this, the more and more and more it hurts us and others. Maybe for you, there's, it's time for you to take radical responsibility for this addiction and to get some help, to get into a group. I thank God. I thank God for the courage of those who say, I need help. I need to admit it. I need to be honest. It's humiliating. It's humbling. But what else am I going to do here? Keep making this choice and keep hurting those around me? There's a guy who's a part of our church who could tell you his story, his season of hell on earth ruined, literally ruined his life with addiction lost his wife, lost his job, lost his home. I mean, this story would bring tears to your eyes. And at some point, not long ago this year, he said, I have to take radical responsibility for this. This is no one else's responsibility but mine. So he's in a recovery group and is actually in multiple groups and is working this thing out. And when every time I see him, he makes a way to find me after a gathering and looks at me and puts his hand on my shoulder. He goes, I made it one more week. I mean, one more week, and we hug, and I go, man, God, give me the courage to take that kind of responsibility. It is hard. The struggle is real, as we've talked about. But what would it look like for you to say, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to passively permit this to continue to hurt those around me and hurt me and hurt my relationship with God. I'm going to take radical responsibility today and do what only I can do, to do what only you can do about the choice that you have of whether or not you're going to be your own God. And this is what's so amazing. This is why I love Easter. This is why I love, this is why the Bible talks about the message of Jesus as good news because there, there is something you can do. You can take responsibility for your sin, but there's something you cannot do. You cannot pay the price of your sin. You just can't do it. 
and you've maybe tried to make it up to God, try and make it up to others, how did that work for you? It's even more exhausting, isn't it? There's something that you can do. You can take responsibility, radical responsibility today, but there's something that God has actually already done for you to cover the weight and the price of your sin. And it's what his son, who we just learned from and we just studied and looked at, his teaching, it's what he actually did. He didn't just talk about sin. He said, I will take radical responsibility for your sin and for mine. That's what we celebrate at Easter. Jesus said, I will take radical responsibility. I'll offer my life, the only one who's never sinned, I will lay my life down to pay the price so that you can have a relationship with God. There is a relational reality to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He has made a way for you and I to have relationship with God so that we can find forgiveness, so that we can find freedom and hope and purpose for our life through him. Isn't that amazing? That, that is amazing news. That is how loving and how good this God is. He says, let me take radical responsibility for what you cannot do, and I will do it for you. See, I grew up kind of around the church, and I don't know if you did or not, I heard a lot of talks about sin, and most of them made me feel really small and a lot of shame, and I kept going back. I was like, oh, we're still talking about this? Okay, keep talking about this. A lot of focus on sin. And you know that, I get that. That is a very real thing. My sin is a very real and destructive part of who I am, the choices I make. But you know, the whole point of this good news, the whole point of Easter is actually not your sin. The point of Easter is your Savior. If the whole message were just about sin, then what would we do? What could we do? There's nothing we could do to make up for the weight and the price of the cost of our sin. But the whole point of Easter that we're about to celebrate is not just your sin, but that there's actually a savior, one who has come and said, let me make a way for you. That's why I cannot stop talking about Jesus because I'm telling you what he's done in my life. I could, I could list the people I've hurt and the things that I've done, the choices that I've made to be my own God. And again, and again, and again, and again, he says, here's the deal. Yes, you're a sinner. Yes, there's sin, but this is the better news. I am a savior. And I find you where you are, pretending to be God, and I take you to the one true God. That is good news. And that's for all of us. And that's why we gather here. That's why we celebrate Easter. And in fact, I want to actually lead us into a, a moment of response and just living in the reality of a God who has taken radical responsibility for your sin through his son, Jesus Christ. That's the heart of the whole thing. And so I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to respond and sing together. And I'd ask maybe if it would help you to take a posture of openness and we do this a lot. We just kind of open our hands up and just go, okay, what do I need to pay attention to? What are the realities of what's going on here? Think about and reflect honestly about my own sin. It's not justified or passively permissive, but to go, no, okay, listen, that's me too. And so Jesus, we choose to come to you because you actually came to us. And thank you that we can come to you. And thank you that you not only give us the courage and the power to take responsibility and to do what only we can do with our sin, but you did what we could never do. And so I pray because of the price that you paid for us, we would have the courage today to take radical responsibility. And that, God, we would see this as you do. We don't want to break our relationship with you or with others anymore. So help us, we pray today, as we come to the cross as we come to the place where you paid the price and took radical responsibility for our sin. It is in your name 
that we come and sing and celebrate. Amen.